HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. show about finding, preparing, and eating food here on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica White's your host, and I'm, I'm back. You're welcome. I'm back. I know I took three weeks off, but you know, girls got to work. I had things to do. I had to go to Chicago. Stuff happens. It's very challenging to come up with new material every week for this show, as you guys know. So, um, but I'm back, and um, we're doing something a little bit different today remember like a month or so ago i had guests on the show and they were andrea tutungen and Kara tannenbaum my former colleagues who wrote that book in a nutshell and we talked about nuts so um in keeping with that new new approach to let's get real i've decided to have more guests on lately um it gets lonely down here in the foodiness fallout shelter you know it's basically just me and jack all the time and while we go way back and He's happily enjoying the little gummy pizza I brought back for him, which he's eating now. Thanks, Erica. You're welcome, because he had to eat ants on the previous show, and they were so disgusting that he's using the gummy pizza as a tonic, an antidote. But anyway, Jack and I, we get kind of lonely down here in the fallout shelter, so we decided to invite people to join us to break out of our hermit ways a little, so to speak. But because I am a naturally misanthropic, somewhat curmudgeonly person, and I don't really like people all that much, although I also tend to be sort of lonely, which is a whole other story. Anyway, 
let's not get into that. We have guests. So today we have very special guests because I thought, well, it's early June and it's getting really hot in New York. And what's better in hot weather in New York than cold beer, except that it's 50 degrees here today because we're having a freakishly weird spell of weather and it feels like winter. But we decided to install a, a little draft line, some taps down here in the fallout shelter so that we can have our own endlessly flowing, cold, crispy IPAs. So we put in the draft line, and now we can basically just sit down here for the rest of eternity drinking beer happily and eating gummy pizza. And real pizza, because upstairs from the fallout shelter is Roberta's. Anyway, these guys are on hold from California, so let's introduce them. So my guests today are these two great guys, the Beer Curmudgeons, and they do a podcast called The Beer Curmudgeons. And I was a guest on their show a couple months ago because Kristen Mortman, who you all know and love, who is the resident nutrition expert down here in the foodiness shelter, got sick, which is weird because someone like her shouldn't get sick, but she got sick. And so she said, oh, I'm supposed to go on this podcast and I can't do it. Can you do it? And I said, of course. And I actually did it from the bathroom of the school I teach. at. (laughs) So here they are, the beer curmudgeons. Now, Sarah, I'm not even going to attempt your last name. Fair is just fine. Okay. I, I don't really know how to pronounce my last name. Uh, it's, it's like, it's not even, it's worse than like a Basque name. <laughs> um, so Sarah and Colin, Colin, would you like your last name mentioned or are you anonymous? You, I, I like McDonald. McDonald. That's easy. Name. Yeah. Good American name. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, so Sarah and Colin are the beer curmudgeons. So welcome to the Foodiness Fallout Shelter virtually. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's quite cozy down there. It is really nice. Next time you guys are in New York, you'll have to come and check us out. We're in a repurposed shipping container. I didn't realize you were underneath Roberta's. I knew it was close to Roberta's. That's all. Well, awesome. no, that's metaphorically speaking. Okay. Because it's a fallout shelter, you don't put it above ground. Got it. Yes. Yeah. That's where I thought it was. That makes a lot more sense to me. Right. Sorry if I, sorry if I just uh, it's okay. exploded the romance. But. No, I mean, maybe in California, your fallout shelters would be above ground because of earthquakes. Sure. I, uh, that makes sense. That might be what you're thinking. <laughs> but here in New York, we go deep underground. Where? Where it's safe. Um, although we've had so much flooding lately, we have to get the bilge pumps going down here in the shelter. Um, so the, it seems like a really hard existence down there. It's actually not so bad. It's really kind of nice. We have good... Colin, Colin clearly hasn't eaten at Roberta's. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're, uh, nah. you know, we're right below. So we're okay. But um, I had to basically virtually create the fallout shelter when I started the show because I felt like I needed actual physical, virtual protection from the world of foodiness. Oh, I see. Yeah, so the foodiness fallout shelter. I got it's it now. The foodiness. It's over here. Sorry, now I'm, I'm I know. Now. I'm sorry, and you know, it's California, it's foodiness fallout shelter. Yeah, so it's virtual physical protection. Anyway, so welcome to the show, and um, thank you for having me on your show. Whenever that was, a couple months ago. Thanks for coming. It was great. Um, yeah, and um, how is your podcast going? <laughs> well, the thing about that is, uh, we don't make any money off our podcast. Oh, really? Colin is. Uh, we make millions. <laughs> is rapidly growing a burgeoning brewery. Oh. Uh, and I have my own responsibilities, most of which are, you know, listening to new rap records and coming on to them on, commenting on them on social media. So we haven't put out, we have recorded, but have not actually released a new one since your appearance. Which oh. I think is our longest gap since starting. Oh. Uh, but there are big plans in the future, and we've got some, some interesting stuff uh, 
we plan on talking about and are, are kind of uh, searching ways to, to make it a more regular thing. But uh, yeah, we, uh, I, you know, it's my favorite thing I do, so mm-hmm. I'm going to uh, work really hard to continue it. But uh, it is right. uh, it is an in the free time thing, and especially Colin right now is short on free time. Yes, well, building a burgeoning brewing empire. Exactly. Uh, we we prefer the term dynasty. But, dynasty uh, <laughs> versus <laughs> empire. You know, um, like I I talk about this all the time, but like I think it's like it's super awesome to work in the beer industry where so many people are really actually excited about every facet of what we do, you know, from service to production to everything. And like kind of uh, the podcast is a way to kind of engage with that excitement, you know, and so it's, it's our way of interacting with what makes our industry special, if that's not too much of an overstatement. Mm hmm. But it's hard to find time to do it. Yeah. Uh, right. I mean, we, we here on Heritage, we have Beer Sessions Radio. You know Jimmy Carbone? No, but I know uh, Sam, who I think is, has been on Heritage Radio. Sam, who used to be with Brooklyn Brewery, yes. now Civilization of Beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam. Cag, uh, no, not Cam. No, that's the no, big no, dogfish no, guy. Cal's a dogfish. This is, uh, Sam. I'm spacing on his yeah, last name. Yeah, whatever. Well, Jimmy Carbone, who owns Jimmy's Number 7 here in New York, big okay. beer guy, has a beer show. And his show actually used to, I used to do this during the day, and he was on before me. And I had to change the time of my show because he had all these beer guys in the studio with him and they'd all be drinking and it it always smelled really bad. <laughs> <laughs> it smelled like big sweaty guys drinking beer well i thought it was gonna go a different way i thought it was just because you drink all with the leftovers no and your no. show would get a little loose no 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 so i switched to all right. show. anyway <laughs> now that we're almost at the first break um so as you know my show is about what i call foodiness which we discussed when I was on your podcast. And if people, you know, if your listeners are tuning in and they don't know what foodiness is, foodiness is the whole world of processed manufactured junk food that masquerades as healthy food. So it's things like soy, sun chips, and veggie booty, and vitamin water, and, you know, protein-enhanced cookies, and, you know, all that stuff, all the, the junk food in sheep's clothing. Mm-hmm. As I call it. And that's what I call foodiness. It's an homage to truthiness. It's the truthiness version of food. Mm-hmm. And yet when you were on our podcast, we, we realized there was very clearly uh, a similar thing happening uh, in the in the craft beer world with these sort of faux craft beer brands exactly. popping up all over the place. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Which is why I wanted to have you on because I've never actually done an episode about beer. I've done multiple episodes about alcohol in general because one of my like major major things that gets me riled up is all the flavored versions of things like cotton candy flavored vodka Mm -hmm. that are on the market which drive me insane but i've never talked about beer because i don't really know beer that well other than what i like i came to beer late in life Mm -hmm. better than never better than (laughs) never that's for sure i didn't really like beer until i was like 30 Wow. I know. I started liking beer decidedly earlier in my life than that. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, my dad drank Michelob. Which, well, then, yeah. But for the 70s. That you were, that you were wise, to, wise to stay away. But, you know, that was exotic in the 70s, <laughs> Michelob. Um, and I would take a sip, and I, I couldn't imagine why people would want to drink that. But I came to beer later because I went to Belgium once in my late 20s to visit a friend and drank beer there. And I had, you know, the religious, like, oh, the clouds parted and... The light shine down on me. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. I hear that there's really weird weather in Belgium because that's happened to a lot of people that I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of like the weather here today, actually. (laughs) Kind of weird gray, and then the sun comes out, and you're like, what is that? Um, So I came to beer late. I don't know that much about beer. So what I wanted to talk about with you guys is about this concept of foodiness in beer because, you know, I think we talked about this when I was on your show about how I feel like beer in America now is kind of where the wine industry was maybe two decades ago where it's you know it's broken free from the Almaden jug wine um, world of the 70s and 80s and you know exploded into this incredibly huge artisanal thing like the wine industry did um, that beer is kind of there now or that Americans are at least experiencing beer now in a way that breaks absolutely and then the the that's all fantastic and and it's also worth pointing out that the threshold to enter the industry for beer economically is obviously much lower than wine so that sure. that makes it an even brighter situation right, but you don't need as land. with wine i think what we need where we're what we're getting at here is because people at that time had only had you know bartles and james and because we're coming <laughs> from a budweiser culture yeah. you're dealing with a massively novice customer base right. and that makes them rot for exploitation and just kind of the okie doke and for fooling you know what i mean like right. people have no you, you know like uh, Collins is fond of saying most people who are drinking good beer just started, and I often say most people have still never had a good beer. Mm. So uh, it is. I think that that's that's where the 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 faux craft stuff is just so insidious, and also, frankly, there's a lot of people that fit into the literal definition of craft who are doing bullshit. Mm. You know, and it's mm-hmm. it's. Uh, because they need something they can mass market or because it's cheaper or because they're corrupt? I mean, it could be as simple as because they themselves are novices as well, mm-hmm. you know? Like, uh, you, you have breweries out there being started by people who've homebrewed a few batches. You know, yeah. that, that, there are many, many positives to an irrational explosion. There are also some negatives that we need to watch out for. I mean, I, I, you know, Colin and I call ourselves the beer curmudgeons because... You know, it's not that we're not incredibly excited about the possibilities, but I think that we need to critique from within and be intelligent and not just simply be be cheerleaders. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that almost all beer journalism out there right now um, is either there's some very good content if you want to learn how to brew, content if you want to learn how to brew, you want to learn how beer is made, then there's some very good work being done. But in terms of if you're just somebody who wants to be a more informed drinker, you're really just running into these sort of all this faux expertise that is essentially cheerleading. Mm-hmm. Just like the food world. <laughs> and and that, that cheerleading is not really the most helpful thing. Like, like I said, you know, like everybody's already really excited. Like the cheerleaders yeah. are kind of redundant in that sense, you know. And, like uh, all cheerleaders really are. Yeah. <laughs> the guys are going to play and, the game. And so, like, you know, for us, it's kind of more about, like, um, you know, looking at this long term it's not like you know like how do we it's not how do we get people excited right now it's like how do we keep people excited for the long term you know like i'm hoping that i never have another job ever again (laughs) so like it's really important to me that in you know 30 years people be this excited about beer right and um you know i think i think a big part of that you know that that longevity is not uh not taking advantage of people's trust you know and that foodiness you're talking about people kind of being fooled mm-hmm. is uh to me the biggest threat to people continuing to trust us and care about what we do so you know um 
I think you, you're kind of dealing with a situation where that is, that is this major peril. Because, um, like Sarah said, uh, people are really excited. People are really into it. And, you know, that makes them ripe to be taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, um, people who don't know what they're doing, people who uh, do know what they're doing and what they're doing is shitty, you know, major corporations that are just trying to, uh, you know, take all your money and extract it from the community. Like, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of different ways in which that trust can be abused. And so for us, it's really about kind of like focusing on like uh, how do we respect that trust and how do we kind of like build people's knowledge in such a way that it's harder for their trust to be abused. Right, right, you know? right. Sort of, yeah, build it sort of a 12-step program for... Getting people to trust again. You know, it's not just like some paternalistic, like, you know, like we need to be good stewards for these sheep. Like it's, you know, it's about like making sure that the people, um, you know, when someone, when when they have beer experiences, that they're having them in like, in a good way, you know, that they're like supporting the things they think they're supporting. Because that's, that's really what a big part of it is. It's like, you know, exactly like, I love, you know, supporting the little guy who like, yeah. owns his own brewery and delivers the beer. And then it turns out that that brewery got bud, bu- bought by Budweiser. Yeah. Like, right. Well, that, know. that's hap- has, is happening and has been happening in the food industry, you know, forever where a really good progressive small company becomes very successful. And then who buys them, you know, Kraft or general foods. I mean, we just saw it with Applegate farms, you know, mm-hmm. if people don't know, Applegate is this was a producer of, you know, sustainably raised hormone, antibiotic free, really good quality bacon and hot dogs and deli meat and all kinds of stuff. A company I really trusted, a company that I you know liked and I would buy their products and feel good about it. And they were just bought by Hormel. Wow. Yeah. So and so the, I think one of the things we touched on when you were on our podcast that I thought was exciting to me was that. People engage with that brand in a grocery store. In a grocery store, you're on your own. You're set loose into these aisles, yeah. and you know maybe the grocer could do something with you know what they choose to discount and what they don't, what they choose to feature as an in cap. But really, you're floating around and you're you're being manipulated by the packaging, essentially, right? In yeah. terms of what what you decide to buy, and, and maybe you've learned that this brand means this is the kind of thing I want to support, and there's nobody there to guide you away from that. <laughs> Luckily, in beer. Still, I mean, beer, obviously, a ton of beer is consumed in grocery stores and susceptible to those same issues. But often when people are turned on to new things, it, it is mitigated, the experience is mitigated through someone like me. Yeah. So you do have somebody choosing what they put on their list in the beer bar, helping you decide what you want in the beer bar. And that's why I think that's, that's where the role of the critic, the curmudgeon, can actually have some nobility. I think it, you know, it's, it's you right. don't normally want to think of... of you know, you want to think of the creative people as the noble people, the people who are risking things, and I'm just the one, you know, li- lying in judgment. And so that's not that, you know, I, I don't deserve much credit for that. But what what I – so to use a real example, there's a, a very high-quality brewer in Colorado that was bought by a private equity fund. And, um, you know, ostensibly the product is still quite solid, and uh, they – have a product that they just drop the price way down on. Mm-hmm. And I had a colleague of mine come in and be like, man, like we're selling a couple of kegs of this beer a week and I'm able to mark it up this much. And, and, you know, he was new to the industry and I didn't really, you know, but, but I think that's where it's like, that's where the rubber meets the road. It's like, Hey man, there's a reason that's 40% less right. than the local brewery's beer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and you, you and, and so, uh, you know, to the, to the extent that the Colin and I can be sort of, you know, 
thought leaders or whatever you know curators that talk term you want to use for it. Uh, I think that that's that's a real decision because I'm sure that guy has bonuses based on you know his cost percentages it you know and so it it, it really is like though that's where it's not just this abstract of like hey support these small breweries mm-hmm. it really is like. Yeah, man, every time you buy one of those kegs, you're not buying from somebody else mm-hmm. that is a likely a underfunded, financially precarious startup brewery that's less than 10 years old that, you know, will really feel that, you know. Right. And the private equity firm is counting on that, and that's why they're dropping that price and potentially even selling that beer at a loss so that they'll, they'll starve out some of these other smaller brewers. And so those decisions, you know, that stuff needs to be put out there rather than just simply celebrating, you know, like $5 pints of such and such and everybody mm-hmm. getting excited about it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's just, it's just hopefully, hopefully pushing our industry to take a little bit more of a critical look and be a little bit more thoughtful rather than just jumping up and down with joy at this explosion. And, and, you know, there are millions of things to celebrate and we hope to celebrate those, but in the celebration, you can, you can, you know, like while you're celebrating is while the forces of darkness are plotting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, that's the role that I sort of see myself in, you know, doing this. And everybody, I mean, here at Heritage, I sort of feel like that's what we're doing. You know, we're like these Sherpas guiding people <laughs> through this like crazy world where you don't really know what's what. I mean, I always, you know, I say it's it's like going down the rabbit hole. It's like Alice in Wonderland, you know, and you encounter these like bottles and pills and shapes and things that, you know, say eat me and drink me. And, you know, who do you trust? Who mm-hmm. Who's really telling the truth? You know, if you're buying this Applegate Farms bacon, what are you buying now? That it's right. on my horn. And I think, like, one of the big challenges, too, particularly on that, you know, like that undercutting note, um, is that, like, you know, Americans are kind of coming around to the idea that they need to know the truth of what mm-hmm. they're buying. But, you know, we're so conditioned to look at price yeah. that, like, you know, like, people will happily ask, you know, why is this so expensive? But, like, no one ever asks, why is this so cheap? So cheap. Exactly. Wow. Right. You we know? never and question. Like, you know, to, to kind of fight that kind of cultural programming, you're not just talking about, like, people's beer instincts or people's even, like, you know, like, food and beverage instincts. You're talking about people's, like, kind of baseline consumerist instincts. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, it's, it's a... It's, like it's a really big challenge and kind of like getting people to focus on story and knowing the people is kind of a, a clever workaround. But at some point you do need people to start asking it like, why is this so cheap? Right. Right. What's actually going into it or not going into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh my God. We have to take a break. <laughs> We're, we have nine minutes. We're going to take a very short break. We will be right back with the beer curmudgeons more. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Cane5.com. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Weitz, and my guests, Colin and Sarah, the beer curmudgeons, calling in from the West Coast, from one of you's in Petaluma, one's in Oakland. Is that what's going on? I'm live at uh, 40th and, and Opal here at the Hogs Apothecary in Oakland, California. Nice. Are you open already? 10 and no, 10, no, 20 I'm actually one? hiding in our, uh, <laughs> the room where we sell our vegetables, uh, 
there's vinegar going and oh, nice. uh, got some bottled beer and some tap wine. Oh, see, it's like your very own foodiness fallout shelter, too. I, I am, yeah, actually. I, I don't think this is going to withstand much, but uh, I'd be the last to die if something really bad happened in here. Yeah, you'd survive <laughs> for a couple weeks at least. Okay, so I want to, we don't have that much time left, but I want to just change the subject a little bit. Um, I want to talk about nutrition, but not in a like boring, depressing horrible nutrition you know like Kristen. no just kidding no 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 that's why Kristen's part of the team here because she makes it fun um and she's realistic um no i want to one i'm wondering i've asked this of many people and i can't get a straight answer why is there no nutrition labeling on alcohol on beer or wine or anything um, is it the so lobbyist the so short answering is uh, the short answer is effective lobbying yeah i mean that's what oh. i thought um, but the, the, there's a growing movement towards that, and I'm trying to remember which brand it is. But one of the like the mega brands just uh, just started putting nutritional information on their beer bottles. Oh, um, okay. And there there is a there's a big concern that um, uh, that it's going to become uh, regulated. That we need to mm-hmm. do that uh, through the FDA. You know, there's um, um the Obviously, you know, more nutritional information is a good thing. Uh, well, uh, there yeah. is like a lot of, um, you know, nutritional information costs a lot of money. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, a lot of lab analysis that needs to be done and a lot of QA work that needs to be done. And one of the, you know, the many reasons for kind of the explosion of breweries is that uh, that type of regulatory apparatus does not uh, exist oh. on breweries. Uh-huh. You know, and I'm not uh, arguing that the, the that's like the best thing in the world, but it, it certainly is a contributing factor to why you can start a small undercapitalized brewery is that you know, there are a lot of those regulatory things which cost money, which we don't have to do. Right. And th- and I mean, beer can vary from batch to batch so much also, can it? I mean, the, mm-hmm. the variables. I'm a big fan of Peak Skill Brewery because I have a little summer place near there and we go there a lot. And we'll go in and the bartender will say, oh, you know, this this week's batch of Eastern Standard is, you know, it's really good. It's way better than last week's. I'm like, well, why? <laughs> why isn't it always the same? Because they're really making it. Because they're really it's making not, it. It's not an right. industrial product. And it's that's like awesome a, too that their bartenders are that their bartenders are allowed to yeah. speak about it that way. That's cool. That's 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 that honesty that we were advocating for. Yeah, and that's why we like it. You know, and I mean, I I have my hundred mile rule for beer, which I try Perfect to rule. I try to apply to food, but that's ridiculous because you know <laughs> I, there'd be no olive oil or tea, and I can't live without that. But for beer, it's so easy now, and you know that place is. A half a mile from my summer place. Um, so we go there a lot. That's, right. That's always one of the things that I do when I'm trying to encourage people to drink good beer is like, I'm like, there's no opportunity cost. You know, it's it's not like, you know, if you start drinking only good beer made within 100 miles of you that you have no options or it's all yeah. crazy expensive. Like, you can find reasonably priced beer, you know, made within 100 miles of you that you like. Everywhere. In the United States. Everywhere. It's amazing. Like, literally yeah. everywhere. Yeah, it's only getting better, you know. Yeah. I mean, talk about hyper-local. It's pretty incredible. Um, So just back to the nutrition labeling. I mean, I knew it was, you know, I figured it was this powerful lobby, but, I mean, it seems so counterintuitive. It's, you know, it's an edible product. It's something people are ingesting. Just that, I mean, talk about the power of lobbying, that they've been able to get away with that for so long. And a product that's potentially, you know, so subject to abuse also. And, you know, with beer, I mean, I think... (sighs) It's fairly straightforward what's in it. You know, you can vary flavors a little bit, add coriander, you know, whatever you guys do. But that, you know, that whole, like, flavored alcohol industry, that makes me get all 
high blood pressure. Well, so there's a, there's a flip side to that, too. The other one is that we're not legally allowed to advertise the health benefits of consuming alcohol. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, beer is actually like a super nutritious drink, particularly compared to any other alcoholic beverage. Right. Like all the other alcoholic beverages, um, or in any alcoholic beverage, you know, the majority of your caloric content is just alcohol. Like you can just take, you know, ABV and mul- there's a multiplier and you know very closely what the calories in a beverage are. Mm-hmm. But beer, um, uh, uh, unpasteurized beer, has a lot of essential vitamins in it, which um, are kind of like, uh, which are really good for you and are more prevalent in beer than in a lot of other things. Um, Dr. Bamforth, who's the um, the chair of brewing studies at UC Davis, um, he's been doing a lot of work on this recently, and kind of um, he, he's shown that there are these really significant health benefits from mm-hmm. uh, from drinking beer, but you don't generally see them on a statistical basis because the people who tend to consume the most beer um, are poor. Uh, and there's, there's like a really direct correlation between like you you know the richer you get the more you switch to wine. Oh really? Uh, That's so interesting. Right. Uh, it, I guess that makes sense. Is perhaps the most interesting human being. I would oh. I would listen to him talk ad nauseum. Well, we should have him on the show sometime. <laughs> you, you really really should. Well, somebody once um, said to me, you know, beer is just liquid bread. Pretty Which much. is really interesting, you know. Uh, uh, but what about the probiotic benefits? I mean, if it's pasteurized, do you, you kill off a lot of that? Yeah. So if um, if you're buying, like, if I go to Peekskill and order something, you know, from their draft line, is that pasteurized? Do they only pasteurize if it's bottled? Very, very few small breweries pasteurize. Um, you know, you, um, there are like uh, some on the kind of like. Uh, big side of small, like New Glarus and New Belgium pasteurize a lot of things. But, uh, you know, Sierra Nevada doesn't. I don't believe Boston Beer does. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you know, most of those, like, big national small brands, mm-hmm. um, they're not they're not pasteurizing anything. Even if it's bottled? Yeah. Oh, so all the beer that I drink, like um, Captain Lawrence and Six Point and all those, they don't. Yeah, none of those. So I'm getting the probiotic health benefits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Drink. Oh, good. Well, that makes me feel better. About yeah, it. I think the one other, the one thing to to add to this from just a a health perspective on the on the caloric side is recognizing that beer has food value. Yeah. When you're consuming it, you know. So I think like people are like, oh, like, you know, beer is just so filling. It's like, well, yeah, but you also had like you ate as much food as you would <laughs> had you been drinking water a lot. You ate twenty of it. chicken wings and, and, and with so, it. I think, like, that's something I had to kind of learn when I got into really beer-centric dining and, and designing menus for, for paired menus and things like that. It's like, oh, yeah, these guys are also going to drink, you know, 30, 40, 50 ounces of beer throughout this evening. Like, we can, you know, calibrate the portion size, you know, and 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 think through that. You know, it's beer is so associated with gluttony, as you said, you know, the, the fat, sweaty beer guys doing the beer show, right? Like. <laughs> Um, which is something I think we need to conquer from a marketing perspective. I didn't I don't, say that. I don't like that being the image of my industry. But also, like, even, you know, I kind of had to learn to be conscious of that. Like, you know, like, yeah, I only had that, like, that appetizer and this other little thing. But I did have those two beers. And I actually, if I think about it, I'm kind of full. Yeah. You know? Well, um, that's one of my issues with beer because, you know, I love a good IPA. And, you know, there are a lot of beers I really like. But I find them really filling. So it's – and I'm really small. And I, right. Well, I mean, yeah. if also, like, people say that, and it's like, yeah, you got a 20-ounce pint of that. You just right. drank the equivalent in liquid of four glasses of wine. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> right. I know, so which has occurred that, to me. That, with- I, I, the filling thing, 
is, I think, true in some senses, but also sort of poorly misunderstood. People are like, yeah, I only had two beers. Like, yeah, dude, you consumed 40 ounces. 40 ounces of liquid. <laughs> you know, that's a lot. Yeah, because yeah, when, you know, we go to restaurants and have wine pairings with food, they're only giving you an ounce or two of wine. Exactly, yes, yeah. So exactly. when you do pairings with beer, what's the pour? How much do you give? So the, the pour size fight is real because it gets back to that value thing where, you, where the, that sticker shock thing, yeah. you know? Um, and there's just, you you will just have, like, hard-headed people that are just like, if it's not in a pint, like, yeah, it's uh, not that's girly, yeah. you know? Right. And I think those people are dinosaurs and are dying off. And uh, I think that, you know, I, the, the most logical thing is, yeah, absolutely calibrate the pore size, and I better see a reduction in price. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and so I've got, you know, a really complex and intense, you know, I, I drink mostly very low-alcohol beers, but I've got this kind of fascinating 10% imperial stout on the list here at Hogs right now, but we're pouring it in a warm snifter, and it's six mm. ounces of pour, you know, mm. and it's beautiful. Like everybody here should finish their meal that way. Yeah, you know, like and take some time espresso. with it. You know, it's six ounces, and it should still take you ten minutes. Right, it's not um, for guzzling. So, but you know, that's like beer being this abundant, um, you know, drinking in a twenty-six ounce stein beverage is is really well indoctrinated into people's brains and they don't do the thinking that like oh yeah the yards of beer that i see you know in german culture <laughs> were four percent beers right you know and yeah. so you're likely the ipas that you're talking about are seven percent you yeah. know and and then you know it's so yeah the, the beer dinner sort of food calibration you know that 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 hit me hit me very early on was just i would be you know producing and attending these events and just be like man we're only on the second course and i like him done, you know, mm-hmm. and and people just kind of tune out, and you did all this work for these later pairings, and um, you know, you want the beer, the brewery to show well, and you want people to to leave happy. So that's something like that is is a constant challenge. But I think when you can articulate why, and you're not just doing it to to get over on people and make more money off them, mm-hmm. but you're actually, you know, that imperial stout I talked about is four bucks, right? The we do a lot of twelve ounce pours of double IPAs and things like that, which are you know, it, really anything over 8% here is going to go in a 10 or 12 ounce glass mm-hmm. and, as opposed to a 16 ounce glass. And we don't even do the 20 ounce imperial pint for anything. But, you know, our beers are 450, 550, 650. Some of the really, really uh, expensive, you know, high end IPA stuff gets up to 750 for the pint. But Right. So when um, you're looking at it compared to wine, it's actually a much better value anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, I would say compared to really any intoxicant unless you're yeah. just over, you know, taking shots or something. Yeah. Well, one thing I do also rage about is the whole, like, $17 cocktail craze, which makes me mm-hmm. insane. Mm-hmm. You know, charging people that much money for basically three ingredients that you shook in a thing and put over ice. That's mm-hmm. a whole other story for me. So, you know. Yeah, and there there is some extremely high-end beer in New York. Being New York has really got a crush on it. And uh, <laughs> there are, you know, I mean, it was just so funny to me. You know, I, I was out there most recently, and Everybody's like, oh, we got to take you to tourists. We got to take you to proletariat. We got to take you to these these spots that sort of specialize in these very esoteric, very expensive, very sort of wacky, you know, what I would call stunt beers. Mm. <laughs> um, and some of those are revelatory, and some of those are cool, and they do pull off the stunt and they land it. But like, I am a very everyday beer kind of guy, so it's exciting to hear you talk about Peakskill. I, I thought Maine Beer Company was was great out there, um, and. Out here, I think just, you know, we're, we're still in the shadow of Alice Waters, like, yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah. So I think people really do, like, um, you know, our cool beer bars are more locally focused than yours. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys, all, I mean, you also have that climate that affords that sort of <laughs> stuff, you know, unlike here. 
Um, all right. Unfortunately, we've already gone over time, which isn't such a big deal because there's no one coming in after me. But we do need to start wrapping it up. So any last words about foodiness and beer and who we should avoid, who we should embrace? Words of wisdom, pearls of foam? I mean, as far as, like, you know, avoiding the, the, the crafty breweries that are, you know, um, the, the, the sheep and wolf's, clo- or wolf's in sheep's clothing, uh, you were saying, yep. you know, um, like I said, you can, you know, you can drink beer made within 100 miles of your house and nothing else and not suffer any quality. So, like, as, as far as anybody wanting to, like, you know, support the little guys and drink real beer, I think it's like, you know, meet some people. Yeah. Any, um, nice. You know, we, we, we tend to be like good times people. We make beer for a living. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, go introduce yourself to a brewery and support them. And, like, honestly, like, not only will you be drinking good beer, but, like, once you actually know the people, you feel good every time you buy it. You're like, oh, yeah, dude, I'm supporting that guy. And he's awesome. Right. Keeping it so within your community, which is great. Yeah. I mean, what I do now whenever I travel is I just do a search for a local microbrewery, and then that's where we go, you know, for dinner to yep. drink or whatever and it's amazing what i've you know found in like albuquerque and where was i oh a tascadero there was really good little brewery there when <laughs> awesome. i was yeah um and do you guys want to do a little plug for yourselves and your businesses here this is your chance talk about um yeah well just quickly on the last point mm-hmm. i think two the other the two things that people can do one is you, you you try to find um a publican or a curator with a palette like yours when you go in and they start showing you stuff and you like everything they showed you they probably know what they're doing and they probably understand you have a palette similar to yours keep going back and explore a little more be like hey last time i had this beer and i really liked it either what else does that brewery do or what else do you have that's like that mm-hmm. and i think not enough people do that and it's it's bizarre people explore this thing people are explorers but they like exploring sort of blindly and that's where you can get taken advantage of um and, you know, so you need to find people who are good at, at this job. The other thing is brew a batch of homebrew. It's incredibly easy, and you will learn so much just from doing that. And you can do it in, like, one weekend day, and you can do it in a tiny New York apartment. And mm-hmm. it is uh, it's just it's the best way to learn anything, you know? Um, as far as plugs, I work at a place in Oakland called the Hogs of Carry. If you're ever in Oakland, come see me. Kristen's <laughs> going to be here seeing D'Angelo and probably hanging out at this bar uh, this weekend. Who is? Kristen, your friend Kristen. Oh, Kristen. on for being too into nutrition. <laughs> Kristen, I thought you said Chris. <laughs> she is? She's coming back out again? It seems like she's all out there all the time. Well, I mean, D'Angelo's flying here. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's a big draw. <laughs> uh, I guess so. If you're, if you're in the Bay, uh, you know, I appreciate everyone in the world buying my beer uh, uh, from the Hen House Brewing Company and keeping us in business because uh, I like doing this and I'm having a really good time. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's the reason and to do it. It's really, really good. I can imagine. Well, I'm, I'm not just saying that because he can hear me. I, I buy um, a lot of it and sell it here. Some friends of mine bought a house in Petaluma, so we'll actually be coming out in the fall to visit them. So I'll I'll let you know so we can yeah, taste yeah, and, yeah. and try. And um, well, thanks so much for calling in and taking time out from your busy mornings out there on the West Coast. And um, it was very revealing and informative. And um, thanks so much for joining us in the Fallout Shelter. Thanks so much for having we'll us. Talk here. to you guys again. Cheers. Bye. 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 So that's it for Let's Get Real this week. A total departure for us. 40 minutes of talking to guests. Who knew? We will see you next week with an all-new, normal version of Let's Get Real. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 